All six of us, my wife and I and our four young kids, were huddled in this old pop-up trailer. And the winds were beating against the canvas sides. The wind was lifting the roof occasionally. And the storm that was projected to be there that night had finally arrived. 70 mile an hour winds in a 2006 Jayco camper. (laughs) My four young kids, all under the age of probably nine at the time, were burying their face in my chest and my wife's side and just holding on as the noise was unbearable at times. My oldest looked at her mom and said, Mom, are we going to be okay? I'm so scared. And Kristen looks at her and says, we're going to be all right. Look at your dad. Does your dad look scared? When he looks scared, you know we're going to be in trouble. And so they look at me. I smile at them. And then the winds beat again, and they bury their faces again into our chests and our sides. Kristen looks at me and mouths the words, I'm freaking out. I smile at her and mouth back, me too. (laughs) There's just something about fear that gets the blood pumping, the heart racing, isn't there? And we're all afraid of something. Raise your hand if you're afraid of spiders in the room. Spiders are your thing. How about snakes? That's what it's for me. Like, oh, I'm just terrified of snakes. Okay, now... Don't lie. We're in church. You can't lie when you're in church. Raise your hand if you're scared of social settings. Yeah. Public speaking. All right. So we have some fears. And if we were to continue this conversation over lunch, we could talk about more of your personal fears. Maybe they're a bit too personal to share in a large group setting. Fears of being accepted. Fears of having enough, being enough. Fears of the future and uncertainty. There are things that produce fear in us. Now, fear is a God-given response to a perceived threat. There's something that happens in our body that God wired to happen in our bodies. So when we see that something that we're afraid of, and we have this visceral response, and there's a physiological chemical reaction happening in our bodies where our brains are now suppressed with our hunger and our appetite, digestive systems are suppressed in case you have to run for a long period of time, your senses of what you hear and see and smell are all heightened. Those are God-given, God-designed mechanisms in your body to keep you safe. So that when you experience something that causes fear because it's a real threat, you can then act in response to it to preserve life. The question is, what are the consequences of that same system when it doesn't turn off? When you live in a constant state of fear. Maybe it's a low-grade sense of fear, but it's persistent. Health experts will call this chronic fear. And there are some detrimental consequences to your body when you live, exist in chronic fear. Here are some things that happen when we live in chronic fear. They say constant fear can short-circuit the response paths in your mind, thereby making it more difficult to regulate fear and make you feel afraid most of the time. 
So our fear systems should elevate when something is threatening us. But when that threat is gone, those fear systems should come back down. In chronic fear, it's as though you're in that system all the time. Persistent fear can cause headaches to become migraines, nervousness to become full-on panic attacks. They say, in some cases, fear can tamper with brain processes responsible for regulating nonverbal cues, emotions, and how we usually react to the information presented to us. This can affect our decision-making and result in increased emotions and impulsive reactions. Persistent fear can change how we act and behave towards those in our surroundings. So you go from a person who makes decisions logically with discernment and wisdom, and now all of a sudden you're making decisions a bit more impulsively with rashness, things that don't seem logical to others who are watching your life. You start purchasing things, spending money, saving money, doing things in your life that you previously didn't because you're living in this persistent state of fear, concerns, anxieties. This is why some of us have toilet paper in our basements. This is why over the last two years, perhaps you have bought something that you normally would never have purchased before. Or you've purchased more of something than you've ever purchased before. Because the ingredients of fear can be things like threats of your well-being, your health, your safety. Talks about the other ingredients of your securities are, is there enough to go around? When there's a scarcity of items, that can produce fears. When there's uncertainty, when you have a very predictable life and schedule, and now things are a bit more uncertain, things seem to be out of control, fear shows up. Those are the key ingredients, I think, of the world you're currently living in. I think those are the key ingredients that perhaps we didn't recognize before, but the scarcities, uncertainties, the threats of something on your well-being persistently is the world you live in. The question is, how are we dealing with our fears? We have to recognize how we're dealing with our fears. Because some of us are now spending, moving, choosing out of this thought process that's more irrational than what we really want, and maybe we don't recognize it. There are some, maybe it's even in this room, that have made purchases this year out of fear. Perhaps some in this room, this was the year that you purchased your very first firearm because of a state of fear, uncertainty. And so what do we do with it? Well, some of us in this room say, well, that just sounds like a conversation you should have with a therapist, maybe a counselor. Why are we having that conversation here in this room? It's church. It's because you are a bipartite being means that you're both physical and spiritual. And so if you go seek counsel in these areas, and that, o- that person only addresses you as a physical being, their helps for you will be very limited. Likewise, if you go seek counsel from a spiritual advisor, and they only treat you as a spiritual being, their helps, likewise, will be somewhat limited. But when we open up God's Word and we come to church, God treats us as a whole human, a whole human that is both spirit and flesh. And so this is the very place you want to have these conversations. And so we're going to look at an episode with two characters in it. Both characters experience prolonged seasons of fear, but one character who leaves their fear undealt with 
has catastrophic events happen of their own choosing that ruins relationships with their family, with their friends, community, and their very relationship with God. Another character who experiences prolonged fear will have a different habit and practice of addressing his concerns. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going Old Testament today, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to find in 1 Samuel 18 the story of Saul and David. Saul was the very first king of Israel. And what's interesting about Saul is that Saul is a fearful leader. He leads from a place of fear. His biggest fear is people. What do people think? What will they do? How will they act, respond? Can they bring harm to his life? And a lot of his decisions are based on fear. In fact, one decision before our episode today, he was in such great fear that he acted on behalf of a prophet named Samuel. And because of his disobedience, the fear of the people, God removed his spirit from Saul, removes him from his kingship, and tells him another king will come and replace you. Samuel shows up this time and says, why did you do this, Saul? And Saul, I was afraid. And we'll see his fear in his leadership today. Now, one of probably the most famous episodes of Saul and David is the one you know, which is David and Goliath. Goliath being this great warrior, this Philistine, who presented a real threat to the people of Israel. And no one would fight him. So David is sent by his father to go bring supplies to his brothers and learns of this Philistine Goliath and says, well, who's going to fight him? Well, who should fight him? The king should. The king should either fight Goliath or the king should find the man to fight Goliath. But instead, Saul is hiding out in his tents. And that fear has now permeated to the people, in which the people respond to David, no one's going to fight Goliath. He's terrifying. David says, I'll do it. I'll step up and I'll fight Goliath. And so he defeats Goliath. You know the story. Saul sees David as a great warrior and brings him into his company, actually sets him over his military. And David actually goes out on many military campaigns, protecting the people of Israel and has great success. That success turns into kind of like a TV slogan. And everybody knows the slogan. Everybody knows the song. And from the inside of the palace to the local neighborhoods to the other side of the tracks, even foreigners are singing this song. So in 1 Samuel chapter 18, look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is what the people are singing. The next verse tells you that Saul was angry at this. He was angry at this, and it disturbed him. It displeased him. Now, you know you have a reputation when the ladies be talking about you. When they're like, oh, Saul, he's got his thousands, but whoa, David, David. mm, David's got his ten thousands. And as the people sing this, locally... And globally in Saul's kingdom, Saul is angered by it. He's disturbed by it. He's threatened by it. He becomes afraid of it. So look at verse 12. Verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So now Saul doesn't see David as a friend. He's turning into a foe. Even though David is is a servant out doing these battles for Saul, 
he sees him as a foe. Look at verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, that's David, he stood in fearful awe of him. Maybe then Saul has this plan, like, keep your enemies closer. And so he's going to give one of his daughters to David. And that doesn't go well because his daughter's heart goes to David. And that causes more fear. Look at verse 28. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. His response is anger towards David. So he's afraid of David. And in this state of fear, you can see, he's not thinking clearly. He's making rash, illogical decisions. And he sets up David as his enemy. And what you see over the next several chapters is a prolonged season in which Saul, in his anger from fear, is chasing David. Now, for Saul, in his fear, anger is the response. Anger is often the response of fear. I had the opportunity to serve in prison ministries and and recovery groups when we lived in California. And we would talk with fellow inmates and say, okay, what, what is the culture here? And they say, it's just anger, violence, anger, violence. Why was the question? Because it's so scary to be here. Fear can often produce anger. Remember, when anger comes, there's this fight, 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 flight, or freeze. When people in this world have experienced fear right now, you can see people who are really angry, like the temperature got turned up, and they're going to be vocal and angry about the way the world is. You know why they're doing that? Because they're afraid. There are others that are just frozen in place. They're just not moving. They can't even move forward. They don't know what the next step is. There are others that are fleeing. They're retreating away. We might not see them again. I don't know. But that's one of the responses. Saul's is anger. Anger can come from fear. It doesn't quite make sense. Let me give you this analogy. You're a parent of a young child, and you've told your young child, do not let the ball go into the street. Do not play in the street. The street is dangerous. So you're sitting on the front step. Your kids are playing out in the front yard. They're tossing the ball back and forth. One of them misses the ball, and it rolls out into the street. And they begin to run after their ball in the street. Simultaneously, there's a car speeding down the street heading their direction that they don't see. You, as a good parent, leap from your place and you're running towards them. Everything's in slow motion. It's like, you grab your child just as the car, who was probably texting and driving, flies by. And you pull your kid back on the sidewalk and they're safe. And the car zooms by, and your heart is beating. And you turn to your kid, and you say, oh, man, that was a close one. (laughs) No, you don't do that. What do you do? Why are you playing in the street? I've told you a thousand times. You explode. Why? Because that emotion of fear has to go somewhere. It doesn't just dissolve. And for some, that fear turns into anger. So for for Saul, hearing the mantra, David, David, seeing his successes, knowing that the spirit has departed him and now rests on David, his response is anger. And he pursues David for the next four chapters. David immediately runs to a place called Nob. There he goes and visits a familiar friend, a priest by the name of of Ahimelech. 
Ahimelech meets David and says, David, what are you doing? Why are you running here? He says, I'm running from Saul. Saul is pursuing me. He's trying to kill me. Do you have some resources? I had to run. I have nothing on my back. And so Ahimelech gives him some bread. And David asks, do you have have a weapon? Do you have a sword? I don't have anything on me. And there's other enemies of Israel out there that I have to protect myself against. And, And Ahimelech says, well, here's the sword of Goliath. David says, well, that's a great sword. I'll take that one. So he takes that sword and he runs. And for the next season of his life, he's running in the wilderness from place to place. Like a fugitive being hunted. Not because he's a real threat. It's because he's a perceived threat of Saul's fear. Well, that day when he was visiting the priest, there was a man by the name of Doeg. And Doeg was probably loyal to Saul and wanted to get in good with Saul. So he went back and told him, I know where David went and where he's going. Saul is infuriated that Ahimelech had helped him. And so he calls Ahimelech and the other priests to him. And says, Ahimelech, did you aid David? Did you inquire of the Lord for David? Did you resource David? Have you hidden David from me? And Ahimelech says, I always do that for you, Saul. We're your servants. We serve you. You're the king. David's not a threat to you. David has often come to me. He's often asked me to inquire of the Lord for him. He's often asked for resources. I do that normally, Saul. What, what's Ahimelech trying to do? He's trying to wake Saul up from his fear. Like, I don't know what conspiracy theory you bought into, but it's just lying to you, Saul. David's your servant. He's your son-in-law. He loves you. Well, Saul won't have anything of it. Now he, now he takes Ahimelech and views him as an enemy. And he turns to the guards in the temple and says, kill the priests. Now the guards, who are in their right mind, tell him, ah, negative, Ghost Rider. Um, we don't think it would be wise to strike down the men of God who serve us in the temple. And so Saul turns to another man, Doag. And says, Doeg, will you do it? And Doeg puts to death that day 85 priests. 85 priests are put to death because of one man's fear. You see the catastrophic consequences of chronic fear that's not dealt with. It's now it's ruining relationships with family and friends, relationship with God and the priesthood. And it goes on from there. So Saul recruits 3,000 men and pursues David. Now he's incorporated 3,000 more families have been brought into his campaign of fear and anger. The whole thing goes on for a long season until finally the showdown happens where David is hiding in a cave. This is 1 Samuel chapter 24 if you want to go there. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep's pen along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. What's David do? Here's the one, his threat, sitting in front of him. Unknowingly using the restroom while David and his men are behind the cave. What would you do? 
Here's the question. Is David afraid? See, our picture of David is David and Goliath, where everyone was afraid, and then David shows up and he says, I'm not afraid of Goliath. I'll fight this Philistine who blasphemes the name of the God of Israel. And so we have this picture of David as nothing rattles David. So he's in this cave. He's being pursued. But I bet you he has like ice water in his veins. Nothing bothers him. That's not true. David is terrified. How do you know that? Well, David writes many of the Psalms that are in our scriptures. These Psalms are like journal entries. So we get to look at the private journal entries of how he's processing his own life in many of these situations. He writes several psalms during this time of being pursued. Let's look at one, Psalm Psalm 55. Psalm 55, David writes this. This is the interior of his life. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. That's what's going on in David's life, is terror and horror, and he's overwhelmed by it. What does he want to do? We'll just keep reading. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest, the storm that I'm in. I want out If I could get out of here, I would get out of here. If I could move, I would move. If I could flee and be ridden of this, I would, is he saying. That's what he's saying. You ever experienced that? You ever experienced that in life where you just say, I'm done. I want to be done. I want to leave. I want to go find an Airbnb in the mountains and just get out. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I'd go find myself a mountain hut. And leave life behind. If you've felt these things, if you've been afraid, you're not alone. David feels these things. See, there's something in us, I think, as Christians where we think, faith over fear. I mean, we all bought the shirt in 2020. Faith over fear. And it's good to know that faith is not incompatible with fear. Like, David has great, great faith. And yet he experiences these fears. He's honest about it. And so if you've experienced these things, if these are things that have been in your mind and in your heart, you're not alone. So what do you do with them? Well, here's what David does with them. And I would encourage you to follow a similar habit. To preserve your life and others. The first is this. You complain. Isn't that nice? You get to complain. Look at verse, go back to verse 2. Attend me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan. I'm just complaining here. Complaining is where you just lay out your griefs and your sorrows, your pains. You're really just laying out your discontentment. Like, this is the hand that I have right now and I do not like it. You complain. God is a big God with a broad chest in which you can go to and beat on with your concerns. You complain. 
And you complain as it really is. You don't pretend like it's all fine. The other thing David does is he names what he's afraid of. If we were to continue to read in Psalm 55, he doesn't say it's an enemy. He says, if it was an enemy, I'd just do away with it. I'm not afraid of enemies, but it's my friend who's turned on me. The one I went to church with and worshipped with. My companion, he pursues me. Have you ever just named what you're afraid of before God? He's big enough to handle it. He already knows it. There's something about naming what we're afraid of that's very helpful. Like, what is it really for you? Where you say, God, I, I'm just, I, I really am. I'm afraid of getting sick. I'm really afraid of getting somebody else sick. I'm really afraid if I have enough resources. I'm really afraid of what tomorrow brings. I'm really afraid of the political turmoil that we're in. I'm afraid if this group of people has persuasion and authority in our country, where the country goes. I'm afraid. That's what it is. I'm afraid of what teachers are teaching in schools. I'm afraid of what people are saying in my local community. I'm afraid of what the church is or isn't doing. And you just say, this is what I'm afraid of. That's what David does. He opens with a complaint. Now, he doesn't just complain and leave. He turns this to complaint into a calling. So look at verse 16. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. So He turns His complaint to a call. Call is presence. The reason you call someone, text someone, is to be present with them. He turns his complaint to a call and says, God, will you show me that you're with me? Reveal your presence with me. I'm calling on the Spirit of God to strengthen me, to be with me, to uphold me. That's why he's able to write psalms like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's present with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. That's calling. That you are with me. You're present with me. He says, you prepare a table before, before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of all this fear of life. You set a table and a place of respite for me. That's what David's saying in Psalm 23. Why? Because he turns his, call, his complaining into a calling. He turns it over to God. God, would you be with me? And then that calling turns into a casting. Look at verse 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down to the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. That's what David's saying. Is I know the one who's greater than this fear. That's greater than this circumstance. The sovereign God, the creator of heavens and earth, who's with me, and so I'm going to cast my burdens on him. Why? Because he says to. Think of of the, the prophet Isaiah. God tells the prophet Isaiah, tell the people this, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, your God. 
I will strengthen you, uphold you, help you with my righteous right hand. That's the kind of God I am. David knows it. So cast your burdens on the Lord, David says, and he will sustain you. He'll sustain you. He sustained David in this whole wilderness. He has provisions. He has company of friends. He has a place to sleep at night. Even in the midst of his fear, God sustains him. Now it says, cast your burdens on the Lord. That's the surrendering of it. Like, I'm not going to bear this on my own strength, but yours. Does it say, cast your burdens on the Lord, and he'll take all of your fears and problems away? Man, I wish it said that. It doesn't. It says, I'll sustain you. And, th- and how often is he calling on the Lord? It says morning, noon, and night. It's not just once on Sunday. It's throughout the day. Maybe you set an alarm on your phone to go off in the morning and at noon at night and just leave that alarm on your phone every day and just p- remind you to step out of whatever you're in and call on the Lord and cast your burden on him so he would sustain you. But the Lord is faithful to sustain David. And I, I believe he, he'll be good on his promises to, to sustain you. He will sustain you through this. He'll sustain you through this. Because David trusts the Lord. That's a big difference between him and Saul. In Psalm 52, I think this is a description of Saul. David has. Psalm 52, verse 7. It says, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction. That's where, that's where Saul is. Saul is trying to find his own securities in his riches, in his strength, in his own destruction. But David says, that that man's a fool. I, I will trust in the Lord. He will sustain me. So what does David do in the cave? Saul's there. The enemy is sitting in front of him. The men have told him, this is the day. That the Lord has said, I will give him into your hand and you can do whatever is in your heart. We know David has fear. What does he do? He trims a piece of Saul's cloak off. Saul then exits the cave. Walks back to the thousands of men that are in pursuit of David. David then follows out of the cave and yells, Saul! Saul! Saul turns, sort of dumbfounded. David? David, is that you? David says, Saul, it's David, your servant, your son-in-law, the one whom, whom you're trying to pursue and kill. I intend you no harm. I'm not a threat to you. See, here's a piece of your cloak. I could have put you to death if I wanted. But I'm not going to destroy the Lord's anointed. I serve you and I serve God. And Saul is just like woken up to reality and is conscious stricken. And he weeps and he says, David, forgive me. Forgive me. What was I doing? What just happened? It's like he's coming out. He's sobering up from fear. And they depart in peace. You see the two different lives lived? Both experience prolonged seasons of fear. One man trusts in his own strength, riches, and his own destruction. 
and has consequences with family, friends, with God and his country. Another who brings his fear before God, who's honest about his fear and seeks the Lord's strength, in that moment, it's like he envelops Saul's fear as well. It's like he takes fear from another person and he brings peace. He brings a calmness and a security to the situation. He preserves life. He doesn't take it. That's the habits that we want to have in our life when it comes to fear. When we live in this persistent culture of fear, and there are people that want to continue to keep us in a state of fear, we want to regularly, morning, noon, and night, retreat so that we might complain before God, we might call on His presence, and then we would cast our burden on Him so that He would do good on His promise and strengthen us. I think we clearly see this in the work of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That perfect love. So we cast our burdens to Him. He loves us perfectly. And what does perfect love do? It casts out all fears. There truly is a casting out. So we cast our burden to Him. He gives us love and casts out fears of our life as we rest secure in His presence and His helps. That's the difference between Saul and David. Let me ask you, which way have you been living in your present fears? As we close, I just want to practice those things with you. I want to give you space before we head off into the week and just practice those three movements before God. Complaining, calling, and casting. So maybe you just close your eyes and bow your head. Maybe you put your hands open on your lap. And I'm just going to lead us in just a couple minutes of what David would do. Father, we come before you to complain. (laughs) To complain about the realities that we're experiencing. And to express that we are afraid of something. Now tell him what you're afraid of. What is it for you? Are you afraid for your marriage, your kids, your grandkids, your country? You're afraid of getting sick, getting others sick, financial securities, scarcity of resources. What are you afraid of? And just beat on his chest. Now we call on you to be our present help, to be with us in these valleys to be with us in despair, to be with us in our fear. We call on you, Father, to reveal your presence to us. Father, I pray for the women in this room and the the men in this room. Would you reveal your faithful presence with them in the past two years? Would you remind them of how you have provided for them, how pantries have been filled,
how monies have come in, how health has been okay. For those in the room that, are, that have terrible stories and experiences, Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally re, would just show them how you're present with them. That you are with them. Just call on him. Keep calling on him. And now let us cast. It's not our burden to shoulder alone or by our own strength, Father. You tell us to come to you and bring this to you, that you would strengthen us. And so I just pray for supernatural strength, for endurance and steadfastness and faith, to keep trusting I pray that you'd even grant them peace, Lord, as they trust in you. Will you uphold them in your righteous right hand? Father, we love you and we trust you and we want to abide in you. And fear is not incompatible with our faith. And so teach us how David dealt with it. That we would not cause harm to ourselves or to others. But that we would be agents of peace. Father, give us courage that would allow us to make steps as David did towards risk. Give us courage to move towards risk because we have our confidence in you. It's in your name we pray this. Amen.